because there are some challenges in preaching through a book like Proverbs. But it's one that has great value for us as believers in understanding how we should live in many different areas. And so we're going to get into that this morning. Now I'd like to pray as we begin, and then we'll jump into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the instruction it gives to all areas of life whether it's the Old Testament that we are studying in or the New Testament, you have a word for us. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning, encourage us and guide us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by asking you a question today. What would you do for a million dollars? That was a question that was asked in an online survey some time ago. And uh, the uh, answers to that question were kind of surprising what people would actually do for a million dollars. Some people said that they would uh, never see their family again if that meant they could get a million dollars. I can't imagine that, not seeing your family again. Some people said that they would gladly move to another country if that's what it would take. Uh, There were some people who said that they would spend five years on a deserted island. (laughs) There were others who said they would give up the chance to have kids, to have their own children. Uh, Some, 30%, actually said they would swim in a tank with a shark. How would you like that? Uh, And then there were others who said that they would even amputate a limb for a million dollars. Can you imagine? Crazy stuff is what they were talking about. But what if I could offer you something even better? What if I could offer you something that is actually more valuable than money. Would you be interested? You see, when we come to the book of Proverbs, what the book of Proverbs offers to us is a life that is pleasing to God, a well-ordered life that is lived according to the principles of God's Word. Would you be interested in that? The book of Proverbs doesn't promise that you will have long life or that you will have wealth. But there are those who have followed this path who have been blessed in that way. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a wonderful marriage or that your kids are all going to turn out perfect. But again, that has been the experience of many who have applied these principles. And it doesn't say that you will have a life that's free from pain or trials. Not at all. But it does say that if you live this way, you will experience contentment and joy and peace in your life. And you will be greatly blessed. There is a lot here in the book of Proverbs that speaks to, again, all areas of life, to relationships, our relationship with God and one another, what it means to be a friend. It talks about our character, that we should be people of integrity and honesty and faithful, dependable. It talks about our handling of money or wealth if we are blessed with those things and how we should use that. It talks about our work and the kind of employees that we should be or friends. In each of these areas, there is a word that applies to our life. You see, the book of Proverbs was written to give us wisdom and to build our character. And it does that by way of comparison. A proverb is like a simile or a metaphor that makes a comparison with something else. They are short, witty sayings which contain a profound truth. 
And when you look at that and you think about it, you know, as you read through the book of Proverbs, they kind of have a little kick to them. They make you smile sometimes as you read them and think about them. Some of them are a little bit like celery. You've got to chew on them a while before you can kind of digest it. But they're very interesting as you come to the Proverbs. One of the things that you have to remember about Proverbs, though, is because they are short statements of truth, they don't say everything about a particular subject. And so they leave the exceptions aside. Let me give you some examples. If you were to look at Proverbs 10.27, for example, it says that the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Now you look at that and you go, well, that's, there's a truth there. God does bless, and you've seen that, where there are those who walked with God all their life, and God gave them that length of days, if you will. And there are others who lived a very uh, evil life, perhaps a wicked life, and were cut short in death. But it's not always true, is it? Sometimes the wicked live long and the good die young. You can look at Proverbs 16.7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. That's true. There's a truth there that is contained in that statement. But we also know about believers who are suffering from persecution. And you can look at the life of the Apostle Paul who suffered great persecution in his bringing the gospel throughout the Mediterranean region. Did that mean he was not pleasing to the Lord? No, not at all. There's a truth, but it doesn't tell us everything. And the same thing is true about a very familiar proverb that most of us know, Proverbs 22.6. that says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Again, there is a truth there that if you raise your children and bring them to church and teach them the Scriptures and you live that out in, in your life, most likely they are going to follow your example. But we also know the heartache of Christian parents who have seen children walk away from their faith. Because there's more to it than just that one statement. Each child also has a will of their own and a choice that they have to make to follow Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful in applying the Proverbs. They are statements of truth based upon experience and observation. They are God's wisdom. They are revelation from Him. But they are not meant to be universal promises in the sense that uh, it's automatic. If you do this, then this will result. Because there's more at work in our world. And so again, we need to trust God in each of these things. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the very first principle. We're going to talk about the introduction to this particular book of Proverbs and kind of set things in order at the very beginning as we listen to this one who wrote the Scripture kind of lay out the introduction for us. And he tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's take a look at verses 1 to 7. The writer says that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And they were written for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a discipline and prudent life and doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. 
for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Verse 7 then is the starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That statement is so important that if you don't get that statement, nothing else in the book is going to make sense. Because this is a wisdom that comes from God. It is written for the believer and the natural man will not understand it. He'll look at some of these things and he'll think, well, that doesn't make sense to me or that seems kind of foolish. Why would you choose to live in that way? Or why would you choose to do this or that? But for the believer who has come to place their faith in Jesus Christ, we begin to understand why, has God, why God has set these principles out for us. Bruce Waltke, who is an Old Testament commentator, writes that what the alphabet is to reading and what notes are to music and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to understanding this book. The book of Proverbs begins by saying that Solomon is the one who has uh, written these Proverbs. Actually, most of Solomon's Proverbs are found in chapters 10 to 22 and again in chapters 25 to 29. But there are other contributors to this book. Agur, Lemuel, and other wise men also wrote things down. And we actually don't know who wrote chapters 1 to 9. We think that the Proverbs of Solomon is just the heading for the whole book because he was the primary contributor. And so there is a writer of Scripture here who is unknown who kind of sets the stage. And the first nine chapters are more like lectures at the beginning of this book. And all were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a wisdom that comes by God. It is God's wisdom and it is a revelation from Him. And this book was written in verses 2 and 3, again, to give us wisdom and discipline so that we might grow in our relationship with Him. This is the way to acquire a disciplined and prudent life or to be the kind of person who does what is right and just and fair. He tells us that it was written for the young and the simple. You might think of a, a father or a mother teaching their children these words of wisdom and passing it on to them. The word simple means really those who are naive or easily led or maybe even gullible. It's a reminder that no one is born wise. No one is born wise. All of us need to learn all along the way in our life. And so there's a word here for the wise as well. It's not just for the simple and young. But there's a word for the wise as well because all of us can add to our knowledge and understanding. In fact, the reason the wise are wise is because they are teachable and they continue to learn all the way through their life. And don't you love working with people like that? I mean, if you are trying to pass on a skill to someone at your place of work, don't you love it when they are eager to learn and teachable? Or when you think about uh, maybe being a Sunday school teacher working with kids and, or in Awana or things like that and those kids are just soaking it all up. There's just a real joy in that and being able to pass on wisdom because you know that this is going to help them later in their life. And most of us have probably had the other experience too of working with some people who were kind of stubborn or difficult or didn't really want to learn and you knew that along the way there were some 
tough lessons that were going to come into their life because their hearts were being hard toward God. Wisdom literature was common in the ancient East. You'll find wisdom literature in, uh, among the Egyptian writings or the Babylonians or Sumerians and others who had these kind of collections. But the uniqueness of this particular book of wisdom literature is really found in verse 7. Again, that this is God's wisdom. And it starts with a relationship with Him. To fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that phrase, the fear of the Lord, really means that we are to honor Him with reverence and with respect in our heart. It is a worshipful submission to God. It's a yielding of our life to Him. In fact, you could say that this phrase, to fear the Lord, is really comparable to what we say as New Testament believers when we call people to place their faith in Christ as their Savior and Lord. We call people to trust in Christ or to surrender your life to Him or to confess your sin in that way. In the Old Testament, they called people to fear the Lord, honor Him. They lived in an age when there were kings all about them. Everybody, it seemed, had a king. And so they understood about the world that there was a God who ruled the universe, who was the king over all. And the proper response on our part was to bow before Him, to yield our heart and our life to Him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It is to live with a worshipful submission in our heart that He is God and we are the creature and we need Him. So what you have then after this opening principle is stated is you have in verses 8 to 19 then these two roads that are set before us. There are two roads, two different paths that we can choose to live our life by. There is the way of wisdom and there is the way of folly. If you've studied the book of Psalms, for example, you'll understand there that the contrast is between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous are those who know God, the wicked are those who don't, and they live accordingly. And so here you have, in a sense, two different worldviews that are placed before us. The way of wisdom is the way, uh, or the worldview where uh, those individuals have come to believe that there is a God and that they have come to surrender their life to Him. They fear God and they have placed God at the center of their life. But the other worldview has no fear of God and instead places man or self at the center of life and chooses to live that way. And there are two very different ends that will come. The way of wisdom is stated in verses 8 and 9. When it begins by saying, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction." And do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. The father is speaking to his son and he is asking his son to listen to him. The word that's used here, Shema in Hebrew, is more than just hearing. It's more than just hearing. It means to listen and obey. It's to listen with the intention of putting these things into practice in your life. There is a great Shema, it is called in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4, where the Scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's called the great Shema, the great hear ye, to listen and obey God and to honor Him at the center of our life. 
And here a father, you can picture talking to his son, saying, My son, listen to me. I have a word I want to pass on to you, a word that will help you throughout your life. We also see that the mother is involved in this teaching, and that's kind of unique in the ancient world, and that it is saying that the father and mother are both important. They are partners in this training of the children. And we all know that from our experience, those of us who had moms and dads who were involved in teaching us and in passing on their faith, served a very, very important role in our life. That's what the writer of Scripture is talking about here. And when you look at this, the way of wisdom isn't flashy. It's not flashy. There's not a lot of bells and whistles and excitement here, you know, calling attention to this. And sometimes a child growing up might feel like, you know, these things that mom and dad are trying to teach them, boy, you know, this maybe at times seems even boring to them or repetitive or they start to think, I know that, you know, you don't have to tell me that again. But what is it that a mom and dad are trying to pass on to their children? Well, they are life skills. They are life skills that touch not only our faith, but practical living. And so from a mom and dad, you learn what it means to take care of a household, to go to work on time, to be faithful to your employer and do your work well. You learn how to handle money, how to wash clothes or how to take care of dishes around the house or do the chores that are involved in cleaning up and being a family. You learn character qualities about what it means to be a good neighbor and to be honest in your relationships and to speak the truth and to be fair and just with people. Now those things aren't flashy. They aren't exciting. They're just kind of meat and potatoes, aren't they? And yet those are the keys to a life well lived. A life that is centered upon God and the truth of His Word. Those are the things that are going to stand us in good stead throughout our life. The older I get, the more I appreciate all that my mom and dad built into my life by their example and by their words. Because those really were the things that were most important of all. And when the writer of Scripture says that they will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck, he is saying of these things that they will add beauty and honor and joy to your life. Follow God's wisdom. Follow the example of your parents who love the Lord and it will add beauty and honor and joy to your life. Amen? Amen. In contrast, you have the way of folly that is pictured in verses 10 to 19. And it is the temptation to follow the crowd or to run with the gang. And when you read about this, you know, it's kind of surprising. I mean, gangs are not a new phenomena. 3,000 years ago, Solomon and the writer of Scriptures were saying that there were gangs and there were troubled teens back then too. And he says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, Come along with us and let's lie in wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw your lot in with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them and do not set foot on their paths. 
for their feet rush into sin and they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood and they waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. And you get a picture here of a gang that's trying to entice others to join with them. The description may seem extreme in part. I mean, this is brutal and this is violent. And yet, sadly, you can read about it in any newspaper of any major city or area in our country where there are youth who run in this direction and who think this is the way to find a sense of belonging or community and who think that they're going to be able to, you know, really have this kind of exciting life. The gang promises things like quick riches and casual sex. They make it look appealing. They tell you things like you can be your own boss. You don't need God. You don't need your parents. You don't need to listen to any authority. You can do what you want to do. And there are people like that. And the father is saying to his son, don't go along with them. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. There is wisdom in teaching and training our children ahead of time to prepare them for what's out there in the world. And to give them instruction about the things that they may encounter, whether they are in school or in a neighborhood or, uh, you know, when you go shopping or things like that, that there are things to be aware of to be conscious of in order to protect them in this world. And thankfully, every situation doesn't go to this extreme, but you as parents and as students, you know the temptations that are out there in our world. There are students that want to tempt others or entice them to use drugs or alcohol or to rebel against your parents and not listen to them or to turn away from God or to stop going to church or to pursue other things. And the writer of Scripture here is giving this warning. Don't go with them. You can think of what happened when the tempter came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He offered her a wisdom. If she would eat of this fruit of the tree, that she would be wise like God. But Adam and Eve, in that case, forgot the very first principle. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding of all those who keep His commandments. It all begins with God and surrendering our heart to Him. Well, what the writer of Scripture then thirdly asks us to do is to consider the outcome of each way of life. And I'm just going to tie this together quickly. But if you look at these two ways of life, the way of wisdom leads to this kind of beautiful fruit of joy and peace and beauty and a well-ordered life, a life that is pleasing to God. And you consider the outcome of the other way of life that follows the way of folly, that joins with the gang or joins in the wisdom of this world. And ultimately, it leads to death, is what the writer of Scripture says. In verse 18 again, he said that these men lie in wait for their own blood and they waylay only themselves. And at the end of chapter 1 and verses 32 and 33, he says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety, 
and be at ease without fear of harm. Consider the outcome of each way of life. Wisdom comes and she calls aloud in the street. Wisdom is personified in verses 20 and 21 and it says she calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street she cries out and in the gateways of the city she makes her speech. What he is saying there is that wisdom is available to all who will listen. There is a wisdom that applies to all ways of life, whether it's in the street or again the public square or the gateways where the courts and the decisions were made by the elders of a city. Wisdom is application to all areas of life. Our speech, our conduct, our character, our relationships, as I said at the beginning. It has something to say about money, about marriage, about friendships, about planning and prioritize and discipline. Derek Kidner writes that Proverbs moves in this realm. It asks what a person is like to live with or to employ, how he manages his affairs, his time and himself. This good lady, for instance, does she talk too much? And that cheerful soul, is he bearable in the early morning? And his friend is always dropping by. Here's some advice for him. And for that rather aimless lad, well, there's a word for him too. It is not a portrait album and it's not a book of manners. It offers a key to life, a way to live in submission to God. And the one question that it will ask all the way through is, is this wisdom or folly? And you can apply that to every behavior, every decision. Is this wisdom or folly? You know, I've been thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, you know, if you want to put this in context of what, uh, uh, you know, in our uh time for a long time people were wearing wristbands and maybe still are that had the WWJD on it what would Jesus do I think if you were an Old Testament believer I can't give you the initials but basically they'd be asking the question is this wisdom or folly same kind of idea is this a good choice whether it's a decision about your family your career, your investments where you're going to church Uh, what you're going to do with your life or as you think about moving toward retirement. When you look at every decision in every area of life, you can ask that question, is this wisdom or folly? The conclusion is found in verses 32 and 33, as I said, that there are two roads set before us. One road leads to death, the other road leads to life. Which road will you choose? And I would say for those of us who are here and particularly for those that are students or those that are young adults I think the book of Proverbs is a great book for you to study I wish today that we had more of our youth here this morning and maybe sometime we'll do this in one of our student ministries gatherings but the book of Proverbs would say to you listen to those who love you and care about you listen to your parents Listen to your mentors. Listen to your pastors and teachers and those who are working with you to help you grow as a disciple of Christ. Listen to the Scriptures. 
Put them into practice in your life on a daily basis, and when you are old, you will not regret it. Follow those who follow Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that we would live, as the book of Proverbs says, with that kind of worshipful submission to you that places you at the center of our life, that acknowledges you, Jesus, as Lord over all that we do. And so that whether we are at home or at work, whether we are with friends or enjoying times of recreation, you are there and you care about us. And you are most of all concerned about our heart, our relationship with you, and the kind of people that we are becoming. Help us to be men and women of character who honor you in all that we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen.